you have your Bible, let's go ahead and turn to the book of 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter 2 is where we will be this morning. And uh, there is some, I, I, I just ask y'all to pray uh, for me and, and my family this, uh, this morning. There's some spiritual warfare going on and we would appreciate your prayers. I have what seems to be a very odd question out of, completely out of left field, but I'll just go ahead and pose it. Who here has ever had a pet rock? Anybody have a pet rock? You had one? <laughs> pet rocks were a little bit before my time, but, um, but yeah, they, they were a big thing for a while there, weren't they? And they were good pets, weren't they? Like, yeah, it was a gift? Yeah, yeah, somebody got, got you a pet rock for Christmas or something? <laughs> So, I, and they make good, good pets, right? You don't have to feed them. You don't have to clean up after them. You don't have to take them out for a walk or bathe them or anything. I mean, they're no trouble at all, right? <laughs> you know, up, in, uh, up until uh, there, there was a mon- monumental study that, was, that needed to be done because some people actually thought that, that rocks could be pets. And it took the influential work of the esteemed biologist Cookie Monster to ask the question, is rock alive? And he finally figured out, no, rock is not alive. And I, I promise you, if you look that up, uh, uh, just, just search for that in your favorite search engine, you'll, you'll find three minutes of quite a funny video there. The idea of a living rock is just preposterous. James, I need you to sit right, please. The living rock? Like, like how could a rock be alive? It's a rock. Rocks don't live, they don't grow, they don't breathe, they don't eat, they don't do anything that living things do. But this morning we're going to see some living rocks. And we're going to see in this passage about living rocks just what impact holiness has on us. Stand with me as we read from 1 Peter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. This is God's Word, and if you let it, it will change your life. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who who brought you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Pray with me. Father, I thank you for your work in making us your people. Because it was all you, it had nothing to do with us. Father, I pray that we would return that holiness to you in our praise, in our lives, in our attitudes, as you make us more and more like you. 
We once were not a people, but now we're your people. Help us look like it. Use your word in this time. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. Last week we looked at the circuit of holiness. We found that holiness, like electricity, needs a circuit and it needs some things on that circuit to really make it work. We saw that the righteous judge, God himself is the one who is empowering our holiness. He's the power source. We saw that, that our holy living is how that holiness works, how it does what it's intended to do, like a load, like a light bulb on the circuit that lights up with the electricity running through it. So we, through, uh, we, our holy living is empowered by the holiness that God is bringing through us. We saw the, um, the holiness works out in reverence to God. And it works out throughout our entire lives. It's not just a one-time thing. It's not just something that happens for a little while. We, we saw that salvation is what motivates us to living that way. And we find our model for holiness in Christ himself. We, we looked at the love that is probably the, probably the, the most easily, easy way to demonstrate that holiness is the way that we love each other. We looked at God's word and how foundational it is to the whole process. After considering that, we looked at another thing. You don't get electricity without a circuit. You need some wiring. You need some way to get the electricity from the power source to the thing that's doing the work and then back again. And that's our spiritual help. The conduit through which this holiness travels from God through us and back to Him. And so we saw that when our spiritual health is in good shape, it's a great conduit and holiness flows very easily. But we saw when there's faults in the line that that creates danger. So now that we're plugged in to the context, pardon the pun, let's take a look at what impact holiness has on us. You see, the light bulb doesn't just glow when electricity is running through it. It also gets hot. Now, LED bulbs don't do so quite so much, but incandescent bulbs, they can get really hot. So hot, in fact, that you have to turn them off and leave them off for a few minutes before you can do anything with them. We are the same way. Holiness doesn't just impact what we do. It impacts who we are. But before we look at what impact it has on us, perhaps, perhaps we need to look back at our model. In fact, that's where Peter starts. In, in verse 4, he points us to Christ. And he shows us that Christ is the living stone. Remember, I said rocks don't live. But we would encounter some living rocks today. Christ himself is the living stone. Rejected by men, but chosen by God. Look at verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. This as you come to him, the, the way that this is worded is not a one and done. This isn't a you have come to him. This isn't a when you come to him. It's an ongoing continual action. As you're coming to him, as you keep coming to him, as you continually come to him, it's, it's David saying in Psalm 42, it's the deer pants for the living water. So my soul longs after you, O God. 
This is one who is coming to Christ. And they're not just coming to Christ to put their faith and trust in Him the first time. They're coming to Christ on a regular basis, desperate for His presence, desperate to be around Him. And we recognize that 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 longing, that craving, that desire doesn't get fulfilled this side of heaven. There's coming a day when it will be completely fulfilled for all eternity. But until then, we need to keep coming to him. That doesn't mean that we keep coming to him saying, Lord, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Save me. Lord, save me. Lord, save me. Lord, save me. God's already saved you, but you keep coming to him because it's not about just getting something from him. It's about being with him. It's about living with him. It's about growing in him. So as you come to him, and you come, and come, and come, and you keep on coming, as you keep on coming, and keep on coming, and keep on coming some more, as you're continually coming to him, the living stone, he is rejected. There are some people that just choose to reject him. Doesn't matter what he's done. Doesn't matter the offer of eternal life that he gives. Doesn't matter that he looks around and he sees other people living in light of what Christ has done. We'll get in a moment about what that looks like. Doesn't matter to them. They just reject Christ. We'll talk about, we'll talk about them in just a moment more specifically. But in worldly wisdom, many men just refuse Christ. The living stone. The rock of ages. But in the sight of God, see, some, some people reject him and they refuse him and they esteem him as nothing. But in God's sight, he's not nothing. He's chosen. He's precious. And isn't that what matters? Isn't, isn't it God's estimation of you that matters more than what other people think? Isn't it God's estimation of Christ that matters? Let's look at those that reject him for a second. We're going to skip down to verse 7 as we see that those who reject Christ stumble. So you got the living stone. You're either going to trip over it or you're going to build upon it. There's nothing else you can do with a stone. What else are you going to do with a stone? You can't pick it up and throw it to the wayside. You're either going to trip over it because it's in your way or you're going to build upon it. Those are really the only two things you can do with Christ. You're either going to accept him or reject him. One or the other. And there are many who reject Christ and they will stumble. Those who reject Christ will stumble and fall. Now is that because Christ is a big old meanie? And he's tripping people up on purpose? No. It's because he stands right in the way. And you can't get around him. You can't avoid him. You can't side skirt the issue. You can't do the Dick Van Dyke move to the side to avoid the ottoman. When it comes to Christ, you're either going to build your life upon him or you're going to trip and fall because of it. So the honor is for you who believe, verse 7 says, but for those who do not believe. We'll get back to those who believe in a minute. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. You might remember a few weeks ago we read from Psalm 118. I preached that passage. Here we go. 
Here's him referring back to that passage. The stone that the builders rejected. There's a story that when they were building the temple, the quarry sent a stone. Everything was quarried at the quarry, cut to size, and then hit to the side of the temple. So you didn't hear any chisels or, or any kind of loud noises going on at the construction site of the temple. But the quarry sent a stone, and they looked at it, and they said, that's a weird looking stone. We don't, we don't need this stone. Well, what do you send it back? It's cut wrong. Send it back. Turns out that that was the cornerstone. It was not miscut. They just didn't realize what it was. The store, the stone that the builders rejected, has become the cornerstone. He goes on. He quotes another passage, Isaiah chapter eight: a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And then he, he gives this explanation. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Those two passages, I, I, I want to kind of give you the, a little bit more of the context of those two quotations. Psalm 118.22, he quotes directly. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. But then verse 23 adds this. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. It's God's will that the rejected stone is the chosen stone. Now that's, that's inconceivable to us. We think the chosen stone ought to be gilded in gold. It ought to be so special that everybody knows it's special just from a glance. And there's coming a day when Jesus is gilded in such a way that nobody's going to be able to deny him. Every knee on those in heaven and on earth and under the earth will bow. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There's coming a day when he is gilded and everybody knows who he is just from the sight of them. But the first time he comes, he's shrouded. He's, he's just a baby. He's... he's born to a, a woman that's not even married in a stable, probably an attachment to the house where you keep the particularly susceptible animals, the young uh, baby goats or sheep that you're trying to keep out of the elements, just laying in a little thing that holds hay. This isn't what God is supposed to do. Isn't God supposed to like make it obvious? No. No, because the builders are rejecting the cornerstone. And God's behind the scenes working through the whole thing. And when we see what God has done, boy, is it marvelous. <laughs> Isaiah 8. I find this interesting. He will become, this is talking about God now. He will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling. Wait a minute, a sanctuary? That's a place of shelter. Specifically, the word refers to kind of like this place. We call this a sanctuary because it is set apart for the worship of God, right? That's what that word means. It's a sacred place. He will become a sacred place and he's a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling. God doesn't come just to make you feel good about yourself. 
God comes to bring you into face-to-face confrontation with your sin so that you will repent and turn to Him because that's what you need. He doesn't mollycoddle you. He shows you what you need. That's why some people reject Him because they don't want to see who they really are. That's You, you see it in society. People not only want you to let them do what they want. They want you to affirm what they want. They want you to cheer what they want. They want you to proudly proclaim your agreement with anything and everything they feel like doing. They don't want to be confronted with their sin. Let's just be honest, though. Neither do we. It hurts to know that you screwed up. It definitely hurts me. For me to see where I'm in error or wrong, Carrie will tell you, I'm a know-it-all. You tell me I'm wrong, I get offended. You prove to me I'm wrong, I'm even more offended. That's our nature. That's why he's a stone of stumbling. He's a sacred place. He's a place where you can come to know the truth. And the truth can set you free, but you have to accept it. Otherwise, it becomes a stumbling block. It becomes the way that you are trapped and snared. See, it's not not the stone that's the problem. It's what you do with the stone that's the problem. And those who reject Christ, they trip and fall over the stone. That living stone isn't there to make you fall. But if you don't carefully consider your ways, you're going to fall. Had a person in Lowe's one time looking up and around. Now, we call it we call it Lowe's Home Improvement Warehouse. Okay? That word warehouse means that everything isn't always tidy. Okay? You should expect there to be stuff around you. Probably a good idea to watch where you're going, right? She wasn't watching where she was going. Tripped over a pallet that was sticking out. Now, should the pallet have been there? Probably not, okay? All right, let's just be honest. Pallet shouldn't have been there, but it was there. And she started talking about suing us because of, you know, all kinds of stuff, all that kind of talk. And my thought was, why didn't you just look where you were going? Wouldn't that have been... I mean, it doesn't matter how many pallets are there. If you see them, you're not going to trip over them, right? They don't see the stone because they're too busy rejecting the stone and looking for what they want. But we who believe in Christ aren't like them. We who believe in Christ are different. See, we don't stumble over the stone. We don't stumble because we see him. And that difference is so astounding. There's so much in these verses we could, I could preach for hours. Don't worry, I'm not going to preach for hours. Maybe an hour or two, maybe tops. But Some of you are like, oh, great. <laughs> Take a look at some of the differences. Go back to verse 5. By the way, we, he's a living stone. We too are living stones. We are living stones that he is building into his temple. We are living stones that are being built into the temple of God. Verse 5 says, you yourselves. 
So as you're coming to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen and precious in the sight of God, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. You yourselves, that like living stones, that doesn't just mean you're being compared to living stones, that you're kind of like, but you're not really. No, 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 this, this, is, this is more of the being the living stones that you are because you've come to him because he has given you new life. Now you too, like your model, are living stones as well. And you're being built up as a spiritual house. He is building us to be his temple. It used to be that there was a temple in Jerusalem. And if you wanted to worship God, you had to go to Jerusalem. And you had to bring your offerings and, and you had to worship a certain way. You couldn't even go into the temple. If you were a Gentile, you weren't allowed in the outermost gate. Hey, there's a sign there that basically said, and if you're not Jewish and you go past this point, we are not responsible for your death. Okay? So we wouldn't have even been able to get into the temple in the first place. But you walk in a little bit and then there's another gate. And it says, no women beyond this point. Even Jewish women could only get to those outer skirts. And then you walk in a little bit further and there was another sign. No one but the priest could go past that point. And so even the most upstanding, holy, righteous man in Israel couldn't get into the temple itself. Only certain people could be in the temple. And it was so exclusive that when they had the priest there, they had to draw lots to see who went into the building to light the incense. That's the story that's going on in Luke chapter 1 when, when Zechariah... Zechariah and Elizabeth, you know, they, they, they end up having John the Baptist as a son. Zechariah is there. He draws the lot to go light the incense in the temple. That's where the angel meets him with the news that his wife is going to have a baby. And then there's only one guy who only on one day of the year, <laughs> and he better do it carefully, could walk into the Holy of Holies. And sprinkle blood directly on the altar. Do you see how exclusive this is? But now through his son, he said, not only are you clean enough to be in my temple, you're good enough to be my temple. I will come live in you. And I will build you together to be my house of worship. Think about, think about the dramatic nature of what God has said. I have chosen you to carry my presence. To quote an old Hebrew expression, wow. Do you not see? Do, do, some of y'all faces, y'all aren't amazed. I can tell you're not getting it. God of the universe has said, you, you are going to hold my presence. Don't worry about your sin. I, I've cleansed you from all that. I'll make you into the image of my son. I'll make you a better representation of who I am. But I'm going to live in you. I'm going to empower you. I'm going to be with you. My presence is going to guide you. My spirit is going to teach you. How can you not 
be amazed? How can you not be grateful? Boy, that's a, quite a difference from those who stumble over the stone. They're not living stones. They're dashed into pieces on the stones. We, we who believe in Christ are different. We are living stones being built into his temple. We're also a holy priesthood. Not only are we the temple of God, we're the ones who serve God. We are a holy priesthood. And we're worshiping with honor. He continues, he says, being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. We are a holy priesthood offering the sacrifices of God, worshiping Him and doing so with honor, not because we are honorable, but because He is so honorable that His honor rubs off on us. He is so good. His goodness envelops us. He is so holy that His holiness changes us. We don't serve with disdain. Can, can you praise God? Really praise God? With clenched teeth and a scowl on your face? Now, I gotta, I gotta be honest with you. I have resting ugly face syndrome. When I don't, when I don't have an expression on my face, it looks like I'm mad. <coughs> Some of y'all have that too. Some of y'all don't. Some of y'all have resting happy face syndrome. And it doesn't matter how you feel, you know, unless you're trying to express it, you look kind of happy. I know some folks that are like that. Some of you, though, are with me. And you look like you're angry when you're really just not thinking of anything. You can't really worship God with that kind of a face, though. You, not truly. We can't offer God the sacrifices that he's due, sacrifices that he finds pleasing and acceptable without our attitudes being different. When we do that, we find that we have honor. Again, not because of us, but because of him. It is an honor to worship him. Not only that, we are a peculiar people. We're weirdos. We're a peculiar people proclaiming his excellence. I tried to find another P for excellence, and I, I couldn't. Several years ago, I memorized this verse. I ran across it and I said, I need to memorize that. So I didn't for a while. And then I did. And now I mess it up. But I still remember the gist of what it says. Verse 9, he says, you are a chosen people. That phrase literally means, or chosen race, excuse me. That phrase literally means an elected family. You are a royal priesthood. Kings don't normally offer sacrifices. Priests don't normally have the authority of the civil magistrate. Oftentimes when they do, either way, it becomes a recipe for disaster. Some of the greatest atrocities in, in world history have been done by kings who thought of themselves as religious leaders and religious leaders who acted like they were in charge. 
of everything. God calls us to be a royal priesthood that's of a completely different cloth. We represent both the civil and the spiritual. We have a responsibility and we exercise God's authority among others. He says you are a holy nation, an entire ethnic group. The word used is what missionaries today would call an ethno-linguistic people group. A group of people that share an identity of holiness. By the way, that comes from God himself. We are a people for his own possession. We belong to God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? You were bought with a price. We're a group of people socially connected because we belong to the God who has brought us into his family. That makes us weirdos. And I'm proud to say I'm a weirdo. Of course, when you define it like that, it sounds a lot better, huh? Last thing. We're God's people living in God's mercy. We're not just any old people. We're not just a random sample of people. We're God's people. And what defines us isn't so much who we are as what God has done in us. Look, look at verse 10. Once, it used to be a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, you were not a people. Do you remember Hosea? Hosea marries Gomer and, and they have a kid. And they name, he names the kid something. I can't remember what he names that kid. Then they have another kid. And there's doubts, there's questions. Is this really Hosea's kid or not? Hosea answers by naming the kid, not mine, not my people. A little bit later, they have a third kid. That one got it even worse. Hosea named him, not loved. But do you know later in that book, later in that book when Hosea says, go get your wife, buy her back, bring her back into your home, because that's what I'm going to do with Israel. Israel has defiled me. Israel has committed spiritual adultery against me by worshiping all these false gods. But I'm going to bring her back. So you go get your wife as a picture of the way that I love Israel. You know what he tells them? He goes on to tell them, you who are not loved, God loves you. And you who are not my people, you are my people. You see, only God can do that. Only God can take someone who has done all kinds of evil against him, all kinds of atrocities and horrors against him. Only God can offer forgiveness that fully rectifies that person and brings that person back. And only God loves like that. Once you were not a people, you were nothing. But now you're my people. God says, now you're mine. I will be your God and you will be my people. You, you used to not be a people, but now you're God's people. 
Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The work that God has done in us is what makes us different. So how different are you? Are you a living stone? Jesus told the parable of two men, both building houses. One built his house on sand. One built his house on rock. When the rains came, we found out who really was wise. The house on the sand collapsed. The house on the rock stood firm. I said you can only do two things with the living stone. You can either trip over him or you can build your life on him. And he's willing, if you ask, he's willing to be that firm foundation. Not only will he undergird your life, will make you a living stone too. Building you up with his people. Appointing you as a priest with honor. Making you a weirdo who proclaims just how great he is. Giving you a mercy that he'll never forsake. Father, thank you for all you've done. Make us different. Lord, we recognize that any difference in us is not because of us. It's because of you. So, Lord, in this time, you do your work. Convict those who need to come to you. Rescue those who are dying in the waves of sin. Redeem those who are chained by the shackles of their own missteps, their own atrocities, their own guilt shame and regret. Lord, make us different. Make us unique among the people of this world, not because we're special, but because of the work you do in us. In this time, you do your work. Shape us to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.